think I pressed my button. Did I press my button? Okay. Well, I'm reasonably convinced that uh, there's a lot of opposition in my life. This is the second Sunday in a row that I've come into a, a, a service feeling utterly sick. Last week I felt sick, having felt sick Saturday and into Sunday, no other symptoms. Yesterday afternoon I picked up a fever um, and kind of carried it all night. Started breaking a little while ago, but I'm feeling quite under the weather. Um, and then to boot, my iPad doesn't work. Um, so I had to go the old-fashioned way and use paper. So hopefully that'll, <laughs> hopefully that'll work for us. Well, we are, are working through the book of Jude. Uh, we are taking it in five, five segments. Uh, Jude starts off in Jude 3, and it says, Beloved, although I'm eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing you to contend for the faith that was once and all, once for all delivered to the saints. Jude writes, I, I want you to contend for the faith. And in, in fact, if there were, if we were to set apart in this book, the imperatives, the, the things that you're called to do, the things you're called to be a part of, this is the first imperative of the book. And in fact, today we're going to walk into five more. But, but Jude wants you to know, he's calling you, he's challenging you to contend for the faith. And as we've walked through this, we've wanted you to see that there's some things that you want to live in light of. That if you're going to contend for the faith, the first thing you have to do is, out of verse 1 and 2, you have to find your identity primarily in Jesus. Um, that when you find your identity in Jesus and you find your authority in Jesus, it frees you up. Because it's not about you, it's about him. And if you're rejected, it's not about you, it's about him. It's so crucial that we make that our our first step in contending for the Gospels to find ourselves so thoroughly wrapped up in Jesus. The next thing he, he really challenges us to is he gets into this idea of these false witnesses, these false testifiers, and you get the sense from the book that there are people whose, whose lives are bearing witness, um, and they're not bearing witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. And he kind of walks us through a couple of different issues, both internal and external pressures, that there are people who will claim to be among us, people who will walk among us, whose lives don't reflect the glory of Jesus. And in fact, the questions that you come into, the, the questions you come into are these. Is my life based on the truth or my truth? Is my purity standard, is it my standard or is it his? Is he the authority or am I the authority? And those are some of the questions that Jude starts posing to you. And when we start engaging this idea of the reality of judgment, how do we live in regards to judgment? We talked about that last week. Those are the questions that we have to take into consideration. But he takes it a step further. Because he's going to challenge us to the reality of judgment in hell, that these exist. And so when we engage people, we have to understand, are we engaging people out of our flesh or out of the spirit? Are are we engaging people in such a way that we're honoring the fact that they have a soul and that they have spiritual needs? See, it's real easy for us to walk around and make everything about us. Everything about my flesh, everything about me getting what I want, and not realize or honor the people around me, to recognize that the world needs a real testimony of Jesus Christ, 
The world desperately needs to see Jesus Christ lived out in our lives. And so as we've put this before you, we come into Jude 17 through 23. We're coming into this next section, having challenged you to live your life in regards to your, finding your identity in Jesus and having found your life living in light of judgment. And now we're going to pick up five more imperatives. That if you're really going to contend, what does it look like? What do you need to do to contend? It says in verse 17, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. So the the second thing that comes into this, the second imperative that shows up in this book, the first one is a challenge for you to contend. The second thing that Jude challenges us is to remember. And why is remembering important? If you're going to contend, remembering is really important. He says, remember, my beloved, the predictions of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that this was foretold that it was going to happen, that you were going to be surrounded by a false testimony, a false witness. Jesus himself knew it. Paul knew it. Peter knew it. And in fact, in Acts 20, Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says this. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish you with every one of my tears. We're called to remember that, that as these false witnesses, these false testifiers that Jesus said that we'd live amongst, and then it says this, they said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. He describes these people. They're scoffers. A scoffer is a mocker. A mocker is someone who pokes fun. And so immediately you need to catch into the fact that if if you're going to live a godly life, you will be mocked for it. The scriptures foretell that. It, It will not be a reasonably acceptable thing for you to follow Jesus in the times we live in. People will mock you for that. They'll scoff at you. They'll laugh at you. And the scriptures foretold that this would happen. Jesus knew that it would happen. None of this is catching the Lord off guard. It says a couple other things about these people, that they followed their own ungodly passions, that they give into the flesh. It says these cause divisions. Why? Because their truth is not your truth. And we're starting to walk into those days, aren't we? where there's starting to be massive divisions in the church based on what you discern to be truth and what you discern to not be truth. We're walking into days where the church is going to get really cut up and split because if you're going to accept some things as truth, you're going to be mitigated to the side. You're going to be thrown off. It's interesting that in the days we walk in where it used to be that you could disagree with somebody and not hate them, and, and that's not the days we live in anymore. Now, if you disagree with somebody, you hate them. And, and that's kind of culturally where we're at because these dividing lines are getting drawn. If you will not say this, then clearly you hate me. 
If you will not be okay with that, you hate me. These people cause divisions. They're worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And one of the big things that Jude is going to try to divide out is people of the Spirit and people not of the Spirit. And he's going to say that these people, these scoffers, these people who will make fun of you because of your faith, lack the Holy Spirit. So the first thing Jude says is remember. Remember that God is sovereign. Remember that he's in control. That as you take on this challenge to contend for the gospel, that God himself is sovereign and he's not caught off guard and he's absolutely aware of what you're dealing with. Continues in verse 20. He says, but you beloved, again with this beloved, again this, these words that came from his, his brother Jesus, these I love you statements, my beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So as Judah's walking us into this, he's telling you to contend for the gospel. The, the second imperative you get is to remember. The third imperative that you get in here is to build yourselves up. That if you're going to contend for the gospel, you have to be in spiritual shape. You have to be built up in your faith. You have to spiritually work out. You have to spiritually exercise your spiritual muscles. We can't just go through religious practices. We can't just go through the spiritual motions. Rather, we've got to study, and we've got to memorize, and we've got to practice. If you're going to engage this world, you're going to have to get built up in the faith, and that's how you do it. Study, memorize, practice. It says, my beloved, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. He challenges you to remember. He challenges you to build yourself up in the faith. Now he's going to challenge you to pray. And not just any prayer. He challenges you to pray in the Holy Spirit. And this is essential because he's, he's kind of making this opposition from these scoffers who do not act in the Spirit. He's asking you to pray in the Holy Spirit so that your life is a life of prayer. That if you're going to contend for the gospel, you're going to, your life is going to be one who's remembering, it's going to be one who's building, and it's going to be one who's praying. Praying. Always asking God to do something. Always asking God to be at work. Always asking God to move. Always, always finding your dependency on him. If you're going to pray, you're going to have to always acknowledge that he's your authority. If you're going to pray, you're going to have to always acknowledge that he does the real work. And we don't. He's going to challenge us to keep praying all the time, as it says in Colossians. If we're going to be people who contend for the gospel, we're going to be people who build ourselves up in the faith, and we're going to be people who are people of prayer and the Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Remember, build, pray. Now he's going to challenge you to keep yourselves in the love of God. And interestingly enough, he says at the beginning in in verse 1, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, is, is to recognize that it's God that keeps you. It's God that keeps you, but he's challenging you here to keep yourself in the love of God. 
that if you go back to that verse one passage where you were called, you were loved, and you were kept, that, that this is the, that, that timeline between the present and the future. I'm going to keep myself in the love of God. I'm going to keep studying. I'm going to keep pursuing God's heart. I'm going to keep understanding what he thinks about me. I want to preach the gospel to myself all the time. Because when we make our lives about preaching the gospel to ourselves, we put the gospel before us, then it changes us. We're constantly reminded that we don't have to be good enough. We're constantly reminded that our our best attempts fall short. And we're constantly reminded of the fact that that's okay. That that's the root of the gospel. Is that he loves us enough to send his son. He loves us enough that the blood of his son covers all of our sins. So we'll keep ourselves in God's love as we wait. Wait's the fourth imperative in here. Do you wait for Jesus? In 1 Thessalonians 4, one of the Paul's challenges to the Thessalonican church is that we live with an expectancy for the return of Jesus. And in fact, in, in, in that chapter, he, he challenges us and challenges us to consider the fact that there is no more encouraging thing that we can do than to always be talking about the Lord's return. And that's what it means to be waiting, that we're always living with this expectation of his return. So to contend, you have to remember, you have to build yourself up, you have to pray, and you have to keep yourself in God's love as you wait. Now, are you seeing how all of these things are inherently asking you to rely on the Lord? There's not a whole lot out here so far in contending for the gospel that's challenging you to, like, go out and do crazy things. That, that inherently this contending for the gospel, the real nature of it that is Judas trying to articulate to you is the dependency on Jesus Christ. It's finding yourself and preparing yourself and constantly being dependent on him in all things. And only then, only after you've done these first five imperatives, does he get to the sixth and seventh ones. In verse 22, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So having challenged you to contend, having asked you to remember, having called you to be built up in the faith, having called you to be praying all the time, having called you to keep yourself in God's love as you wait, now he's going to put this out here. Now he's going to put out here this, these three additional imperatives for us to engage the world. And I want you to see from the beginning that it does not say, and hide from the world lest they affect you. It doesn't say, go build a fortress and hide in it. It doesn't say, move to an island. Christians have for centuries come up with these ideas. Well, we don't want to really be impacted by the world. Let's move. Have mercy on those who doubt. This statement is actually an intentional statement that people who are doubting in their faith, people who are struggling in their faith, it's a Christian statement that if there are people who are being divided out by false teaching, 
Jude does not call you here to punt them. Jude doesn't call you here to throw them out. He says, have mercy on them. Show them the mercy of Jesus Christ. That if you're going to contend for the faith, if you're going to live a life that's demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel, if you are surrounded by people who doubt, have mercy on them. Show them the love of Jesus. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. It's this picture of the fact that there are people who in light of judgment are hellbound. And rather than looking at them and going, hey, you guys have fun on the bus. See you later. He challenges you to save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, I'm not, I have terrible grammar. I've always had terrible grammar. But I am wise enough to understand that snatching is not a passive verb. (laughs) You cannot snatch somebody by sitting still. You, You cannot snatch somebody by sitting on your hands. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. So that as we're surrounded by people who are making extraordinarily poor decisions, as we're surrounded by people who are living lives just marked by sin, Jude challenges us, having been built up in the faith, having prayed, having kept ourselves in the love of God, and waiting for Jesus, that we engage these people, that we snatch them out of the fire, that's not a passive statement. He paints this picture of us loving people enough to risk. If you're going to snatch somebody out of the fire, you've got to get close to the fire. There's risk. And it's always going to risk. It's always going to risk something. It's always going to cost something And in this case, it's worth it. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And it gives you a third group. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. You know, there's a difference between struggling with sin and living in it. We talked about that a little bit last week. That there are going to be people whose lives are so thoroughly marked with sin, so thoroughly marked with lust in the flesh, that you're going to have to approach those people with extreme caution. He doesn't tell you to have nothing to do with them. He doesn't say, write these people off. He said, to others, show mercy with fear. That there are going to be certain people that you're going to have to kind of engage cautiously, very, very carefully, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. That as you engage these people, your goal is to not let their sin rub off on you. You know, one of the most fascinating things over the last seven years of working with college students was the number of students I had who'd say something to me like, yeah, I want to go into a fraternity because I want to lead all my fraternity brothers to the Lord. No, you don't. You're trying to get neck deep in sin. And it was always fascinating because you, you recognize that if somebody's wanting to engage the world, that there's a wise way to go about that and sending yourself into a den of vipers is not the right way. That, that there's some crowds we need to 
at least appreciate the fact that we've got to pursue them with some fear in mind, that there's some crowds we ought to not walk into by ourselves. And if we're going to engage these people, we ought to take some people with us. It's one of the things I always appreciated when Peter goes to meet with Cornelius in Acts 10. Um, you know, he's, he's stepping out. He's going to go meet with a Gentile, totally aware of the fact he could be accused of a lot of things. And one of the steps that, that Paul takes is, he take, or Peter, I've got my people wrong. One of the steps that Peter takes is he takes like six guys with him. You know, if you're worried about being, struggling with sin, take six people with you. You know, there's a lot of accountability when you roll a seven. And that's kind of what they are, he's getting to here. That there's this challenge for us to contend. And that the contending part of it is first that we get built up in the faith. But it doesn't end there. And secondly, it's not that we just pray and it doesn't end there. It's that he starts getting us to these very active verbs. That, that having built ourselves up for the faith, we're preparing ourselves for something. And having prayed about it, we're praying with some expectation of something. That our prayer life is to see God move. And having kept ourselves in the love of God, it's because we recognize that we're in a war. Now, outwardly, we're being wasted away, and inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. I've got to go back to the Father. I got to go be reminded of who I am. And I got to be reminded of who I am in light of who he is. And I got to wait for Jesus. And in the midst of all those things, it's not just, we don't just do that and stop. And, and I'm afraid that that's what most Christians do. We, we build ourselves up, we pray, and they go, I've done my work. If a guy stops by my door, I'll talk to him. And yet 22 and 23 have some active verbs that we be about pursuing people. That to contend is to actively engage people purposefully. Whether they be doubters, whether they be wanderers, or people who are neck deep in sin. It's one of the things I've appreciated about this book is it, it, it puts a great spiritual emphasis on finding yourself in Jesus, but not leaving it there. It puts a great spiritual emphasis on growing yourself up, but not leaving it there. It puts a great emphasis on praying and studying your scriptures, but not leaving it there. So that we don't approach the Bible as, a, I just need to get what I need to get out of this today. But rather, I need something here that I can give away. I need something here that I can just pour into somebody else's life. Because I'm going to get run over this week, and I just need some truth that I can dispense. That, that to contend for the gospel is to live a life with your identity in Jesus Christ. It's to live a life in, in lieu of judgment and hell. It's to remember that Jesus said we'd have opposition. It's to build ourselves up in the faith. It's to pray. It's to keep ourselves in his holy love. It's to wait for Jesus Christ. And it's to have mercy on people who doubt. And it's to save others by snatching them out of the fire. And it's to show mercy with fear as we engage the world. Let me pray for us. 
Father, we are thankful for your truth. That it's not my truth, it's the truth. We're thankful that you have given us a a plumb line that we can stick to. And Father, as we live and we work and we walk in this world, Father, we are challenged to contend for the gospel. And, And as contenders, we don't just sit on our hands. As contenders, we train. And we build up our faith and we pray. And as contenders, we actually enter the ring to have mercy on those who doubt. And Father, I know that this causes fear. It terrifies me. And yet, we find ourselves in your son. We represent your son. So help us not to make it about us. Help us to make it about him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.